Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter, where we pre-stream each episode on Twitter Spaces the day before publishing on all major podcast platforms. For the platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. In addition, Blockchain Recorded Podcast is a proud media partner of the upcoming Istanbul Blockchain Week event. For further event information, speakers, and ticket details with available discounts, check istanbulblockchainweek.com. This episode is dedicated to the Web3 Stronger Together ecosystem initiative and its first virtual summit, which took place between March 1st and March 4th, 2023 in Evelyn's Metaverse, a virtual platform uniting several hundred Web3 leaders and thinkers, over 100 projects and speakers, and over 5,000 attendees from across the world. The purpose of Web3 Stronger Together, with which Blockchain Recorded is a proud media partner, is to demonstrate to the crypto community that the Web3 ecosystem is strong, solidary, active, and committed to furthering innovation, despite the status of the market and nature of price speculations. It emphasizes the importance of fairness, inclusivity, diversity, and sustainability to furthering healthy Web3 fundamentals. The summit included many panel discussions with assigned topics, which Blockchain Recorded is redistributing in audio form. The fifth panel discussion on March 2nd and 14th panel overall explores DeFi and the future of investing with respect to decentralized investment platforms and DAOs. The speakers were Greg Chu, the founder and CEO of QPQ, Graham Malone, founder of RunTheShip.io, and Guru Prasad Venkatesha, co-founder and CEO of Bcube.ai. The panel explores the emergence of decentralized investment platforms and DAOs in the DeFi space, their potential risks and challenges, and how they're changing the way we think about investment and asset management. The speakers additionally address the need for regulatory clarification and discuss the future tokenization of everything with its inclusivity advantages. The following is the panel's discussion hosted by Matin Noblia, a key event organizer behind the Web3 Stronger Together ecosystem initiative. We do apologize for potential audio drops or echoes due to choppy internet connections. We edited the recording to the best of our ability. Thank you for joining this panel. Uh, this is the last one of the morning. We're gonna have more this afternoon. Um, so I'm really glad you guys are all here. Uh, thank you, Greg. Thank you. Can I call you Guru? Yeah, yeah, sure. That's great. Okay. And thank you, Gra uh, Graham. Is that how you said? Yeah, close enough. Okay. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about DeFi and the future of investing, uh, decentralized investment platforms and DAOs. So please introduce yourself and tell us why uh, you're in Web3. Yes. Probably I can go. Okay, go. So I'm a co-founder and CEO of bcube.ai. We empower crypto traders to win in any market conditions by providing an institutional grade AI driven platform. And uh, I'm in Web3 because I believe in DeFi specifically. And DeFi is the future as we know. 
and uh, the DAOs and all these great things that's happening in this industry is very fascinating and which has uh, a lot to give to humanity as I can see. So it, it gives uh, your rights back in your hands and and we have seen enough of all the things that was happening in the past which was not really working uh, properly and I think blockchain and Web3 is going to fix that. All the things that was happening in the past which was not really... Thank you. Greg? Apologies, I muted myself. Uh, hi, I'm Greg Chu, CEO and founder of QPQ. We're building the infrastructure to make everything that we talk about in the context of Web3 possible. That's scalable, interoperable, uh, high-speed throughputs that, that can really deliver the potential that we think exists in Web3. Uh, and going beyond that into bringing real-world assets on-chain as complete assets uh, and evolving through to what I would call the programmatic economy. Uh, the reason I'm in Web3 is very simple. Uh, I think that we are missing the vast majority of the world's population from the economic uh, participation that, that drives everything forward. I think the world is a, is a bigger place than it is today. Um, I think that you know, we probably exclude something in the region of 80 to 90 percent of people around the world from real economic participation. And if we can create the sort of uh, distributed digital economic framework that Web3 promises, that should actually invite everybody into that world, or at least give them the potential to be part of the global economy. Great. Well said. Great. Well, first of all, you guys done a great job with the event so far. Super organized. Um, Thank you. So, so I'm Graham. I'm the founder of Run the Ship. And at Run, we're uh, enabling the next wave of investors uh, through investing DAOs. And what I mean by that is we essentially create homophily um, and break down the barriers of becoming a accredited investor, let's say. And we allow investors to build investment clubs. And pretty much it's axiomatic in terms of like Web3 where you can invest in, but we can also invest in regular equity with startups. And why I'm building in this space? Well, I worked in you know numerous startups, um, especially ones that received quite uh, a lot of funding and so I, I looked at the whole space of funding from first principles and the barriers to accreditation are just way too high if you know what they are it's 200k uh, usd income that you need to have for two years it's um one million net assets uh, there's a license and there's only actually seven percent of people who are accredited investors in the us for example so uh so i'm building really towards this and true web3 and and building investment DAOs, we believe that we can break down those walls yes definitely and i think uh if we go international all around the world then you have less barriers too because you know everyone they, they don't have to be accredited investors like in, in the us um so i i have put some questions but you know feel free to share what you want um you know how, how do you guys feel like the decentralization investment platform differ from traditional investment um, and what benefits do they offer, like, uh, to the market? I, I think this, this is something that is a bit of a bugbear of mine because I was actually involved with a, a nascent, uh, what would have been a crowdfunding platform, what in the States they called a 506C platform, uh, back in 2017. And there's a lot of talk about how these platforms would allow deal flow to go up on their platforms and people could just come find it, see it, deal with it, you know, get on board. But actually, it's not really true because you, you end up with the, this silo where you've got people who are onboarded as a client and can see that deal flow. You've got clients who are onboarded with that investment bank or crowdfunding platform as the people seeking funding. And actually, you know, it, it, it's a double silo. 
So when people talk about the potential of uh, DeFi to, to, to step into this, we need to start looking at some of those infrastructural issues, but also to start being really transparent about what the costs are. Because when the STOs first came out, people were saying that they were going to cost less than traditional methods of raising capital. Actually, that's not true. The, the initial deals actually cost more to start. The, the real attraction is actually in the long tail cost. And you know, talking to, there's a company called Clearglass who looked at this and they estimated that the drag on performance of funds for all the administration that a, a distributed ledger technology based approach could at least address a lot of, if not solve, was something in the region of 30 to 40% drag on performance. That's very significant if you want to invest, compound that year on year on year. Mm. Right. Um, Guru? Um, I agree with what Greg said, but um, I have uh, two concerns about when we speak about uh, DeFi investing and DAOs, which is about uh, regulations. But no, uh, because SEC quite recently said that uh, DAOs are nothing but unregistered uh, corporations. So I think like more um, uh, regulatory clarification will be necessary for this space to grow. Because we will see more and more people getting scared of the regulation and because of this whole uh, environment of fear, I think innovation can take a backstage. So uh, there, there are certain jurisdictions, I mean like now all the crypto guys in Dubai and uh, many, many of them in Europe, like they go to France, like which is having very uh, good regulations, at least uh, for European standards, because even our company is based in France. But uh, whether it's completely friendly or whether we are in a completely in a green zone, I don't, I don't say that one. We are a bit in a gray zone now. So I think more and more uh, regulatory clarification will be necessary and needed for uh, this space to grow. Um, and also DeFi as a space um, is, is, uh, is so far like is uh, having a kind of yields, which is not very uh, realistic. I mean like real yields, because most of the yields that we see on the platform is coming from APR returns or any other kind of, you know, uh, the tokens which is created out of thin air. And these kind of payments of uh, interest for uh, the stickers or any people who are hodling the token, I don't think that is sustainable. And that is why like we at BCube, like we are focusing more on uh, giving the real yield, which means like the real profits being made and from the profits, like we are giving the uh, returns to, you know, like the token holders. But again, like one more question comes whether the token is security in nature now. It can be if you call it as a dividend, but there are different ways to do it. And I think then uh, it will become far more attractive to people because uh, what I believe is, as I said, uh, the real yields and there are many ways to achieve that. And even if you see on any kind of uh, DeFi protocols, the interest rate is normally between 1% to 9% or 10%. Maybe for some institutional investors or some kind of treasury management, this can be a good rate of interest. But if retail participation has to come in, then the interest rates has to be higher because if they can just buy and hold some token and make good money out of it or in centralized exchange trading, it can give much more yields than uh, DeFi yields, then they will not be so much attracted towards it. Uh, that's why I think like uh, AI infrastructure uh, with, with very good pattern recognition based uh, trading systems are very much necessary and that's exactly what we are building and this will make DeFi much more attractive in terms of um, uh, delivering higher rate of interest uh, of course by taking into consideration the risk management and this can lead to uh, mass adoption of DeFi uh, even from uh, you know uh, retails. Yes. Uh, before we move on to give you Graham the, the, the spotlight. I wanted to ask you, Guru, do you have another page open? Uh, there's an echo. Do you have the live YouTube going on in one of your page? It, uh, echo 
again happening in one of us no, no? no. okay Sorry. i hear i hear it uh like the live coming afterwards so i hear um it. okay all right we'll ignore it uh graham go ahead you turn to speak yeah thanks yeah i've also uh, heard it but i think it's stopped now um so that's good um yeah, well fundamentally I, I just think the whole investment rails is is broken and i feel like we've gone through these phases um of d5 but also i think it's just left many people out for like mass adoption and i think there's a couple of ways that this type of investing will go i think it will be community driven I think it will become more decentralized. And I know there are two big things just to say, but I think thirdly, real world assets should come into this. And I think that that will be a trigger point for exponential growth. So these are all spaces that I've looked at quite extensively. And I feel like that to bridge that gap, we just have to be able to enable investors with tools to allow them to invest easily into if it is a yield or if it is a certain protocol that the barriers is quite easy so what we're doing we're just effectively creating like a mini a mini vc vehicle that you can do at the at the cost of um of, of, of a gas fee and you can set it up within minutes and we don't want to leave out that like real world element of um how you take equity in companies and things like that so you can actually convert your dao into an NLC, for example, and actually bring that memo on chain as well of, hey, look, I've invested into a, a real equity startup. So I think that's um, perhaps the way the future is shaping up. And I think we will see that bigger adoption towards real world assets and, and quite excited about that. Just to back up a uh, couple of points we made there that were really good. You know, what Guru Prasad is saying about uh, needing regulation in this area is, is spot on. Um, but actually, I think on following on what Graham is saying, we need the regulators, and I've been beating this drum for nearly 20 years, hey, we need to start thinking in less patrician terms about how the markets are regulated, access to the markets regulated, because the thing that's going to happen, and Graham's touched on it just now, is the digitalization of assets is going to lead to the financialization of a whole slew of things that we don't even think about being financialized today. And the fact that something is financialized does not turn it into a security. You know, for example, uh, you can have a collection of baseball cards. They've never in the past been considered a security. So why would something in a digitalized context be considered a security just because it's tradable? I mean, there's a guy who's actually been working on some of this stuff called um, Bob Cornish, who was working in, in Wyoming. And Wyoming are actually pretty advanced in terms of how they're looking at the whole DAO thing. I mean, it's a critical point that Guru Prasad raises there. But he and I actually became friends because he was speaking on a panel and I asked the question, what is it about an, if an asset goes from being a non-security to being digitalized and then financialized, why does that simply because it's tradable become a security? And he was the only a lawyer I met who gave me a straight answer. And that straight answer was, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I, I, this is the thing that we have to get past because, you know, when we start to consider the size and scale of the economy that we're talking about, I, I touched on this in the beginning when I came in and I said, you know, we're excluding the vast majority of the world from actually participating in the economy. I, I spoke about this the other day. There's a guy I met from the San Francisco Fed who told me they actually looked into what the economic cost was of disenfranchisement of African-Americans in the USA. $57 trillion between 1990 and 2020 forecast to be $173 trillion cost to the economy between 2020 and 2050. Expand that to the world. 
start thinking about what this means when everything around us becomes a tradable thing, when our, our whole asset base can be digitalized and become liquid tradable. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about the sage of Omaha. Um, you know, what's the real secret to, to the performance of Berkshire Hathaway? It's actually a reinsurance company. So it's doubling its returns. Why can't yeah. the average person do that? Why is there an assumption that the average person is too stupid to actually understand things that are everyday items? I mean, maybe there's an argument when you talk about securities that are complex instruments. These are the, the everyday items that we're all used to. These are not complex instruments. We need to evolve this discussion. And regulators, I, I think they're looking at the wrong thing, the red herring. They're looking at how to regulate Bitcoin or crypto and, you know, the number go up stuff. Forget it. The number go up stuff, it's very simple. Do you have gambling laws? Yes or no? If yes, regulate them under gambling. If you don't have gambling laws, get some. But the rest of it needs a much more intelligent approach because the stuff we're talking about here actually will transform everybody's lives. And we need to take the handbrakes off, but not necessarily throw the training wheels away, if that if you'll excuse the uh, standard euphemism. Yeah. And, 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 this is exactly what we're doing, and we're trying to be an inclusion for everyone, everyone to be able to join uh, DeFi and the future of decentralization, the future of investing has to be uh, including everyone, right? So um, that's definitely a good point there. Um, Guru, you want to touch a point on that or? No, I, I, I think like, yeah, that that's right what uh, Greg said. I mean, real world assets have to come on blockchain and they have to get tokenized and then they can have some value and i think that that's the thing what some of the exchanges started to do uh, quite some time ago because um a- ftx exchange when uh, they were still there and doing the business we could see some tesla stocks and other kind of things which was tokenized i think uh, that that was to bring you know uh, very easily the crypto people also into the mainstream uh, stock kind of like returns but having the tokens and there are nice protocol like synthetics which makes it possible to tokenize any real world assets I think uh, more and more such kind of assets have to get tokenized because if I want to buy a stock uh, which is trading on Hong Kong Stock Exchange, I can't just buy it. Or if I just see a very good company like which is in an emerging economy, then I can't just buy it because of um, because I am not a citizen of that country or I don't hold a residence card of that country. So I, I just can't buy that stock at all. So, but uh, if we tokenize it, I mean, like. I will be not just be able to buy these kind of stocks, whatever uh, I would like to do it, but also it gives a legitimacy for blockchain itself because it makes it possible for me to do something without which it would be absolutely impossible. I think we need to be really careful when we talk about synthetics um, and understand this. Distributed ledger technology essentially allows us to do one incredible thing and we should not dress it up because what it does is awesome. It allows us to trust the message, not the messenger. And anything that restores that requirement for third-party trust, we need to be really careful of. Because where you see real-world assets being pulled on-chain, somebody still has to behave as the custodian. Somebody still has to be given that third-party trust. And some of this might come down to what the future of banking and the future of funds, etc., might be. But fundamentally, we need to be very, very careful when we talk about synthetics because there is still a custodian and that custodian should be regulated there should be oversight because otherwise you know ftx is is sitting there as a landmine in many many different directions where you see anybody you know for example the so-called layer twos what are they doing they're batching transactions they are custodial banks 
what are the third-party bridge services that we're seeing being hacked all the time? Actually, they're payment service providers. Under the existing regulation, the existing regulatory frameworks can apply to these things, and they should. If we're going to batch transactions in order to expedite consensus, which is actually the function of the technology in the context of distributed ledgers, then that should be a regulated activity. It shouldn't be something where you go, hey, I'm X. I used to be in the Ethereum Foundation. You can trust me. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not the game. The game is to trust the message. So, yeah, yeah I think Garou Prats-Lasada is right in saying that there are many things that we can do, but we also have to be very careful to think that the token is a thing that points at an asset. It isn't the asset itself in most cases. Yeah, but, uh, but, but uh, this is a good transition uh, to talk about, you know, potential risk and challenges, you know, associated with uh, decentralized finance. Go ahead, uh, Guru. No, I was just uh, speaking about some of the ideas that uh, I had personally, like if if these tokens are really backed with the real shares, which is in the stock exchange, and uh, not, not just trying to mimic the price moment of an asset, but uh, if it's really backed, I mean, the concept of stablecoin, if it is done really perfectly, I mean, like backing it up with one is to one US dollars. So in that case, if, uh, if, if a real world uh, asset, let me say a Tesla star, if it's backed with one token, I mean, someone should really have a Tesla stock to back it up with. So I, I was speaking something about like real world assets being backed with a token, like not just token mimicking the value. I think I think what Greg mentioned about the messenger is is such a profound point because one thing that we're missing um, is participation and governance. And I think with I, I, so I do believe that this tokenization of everything will happen, including like electricity bills, all sorts of utilities. I think it is underway. And one thing that is missing with any of that, like if you take a bank for example, you know we we trust. And the banquet funds, but we have zero participation. You know, we cannot have any governance. We can't have any voting rights in anything. And that's what we need to lean towards with any type of investing model. Rather than, you know, synthetics or making parallels of, of certain things, I think there's space for that. But I think when you are, um, you know, when you're trusting a protocol with funds or having like an investment club manage a set of things, they need to be able to vote. They need to be able to have a common goal in mind. And I feel like we we need to move more towards that. And I, and, and if you look at the metrics for DAO creation and, and governance and a lot of events recently, I think we are st starting to see exponential growth towards that. And I feel like that's going to be crucial is that participation point. I think DAOs are going to be one of the great empowering tools actually in this because, you know, it, it's something that is going to allow, and I think you hit upon it just now, at investment clubs for how many years? Uh, essentially, that's what a DAO is, but on a bigger yeah. scale, and it, it it automates so many of the processes that otherwise become quite costly and draining and time-consuming parts. Um, yeah, I, I think that whole issue, we, we've said it a few times now, the whole issue of how DAOs are addressed and understood and contextualized has to be really looked at hard and well. Uh, and I, I fear that there's too easy a solution from regulators to say, just call the security until someone proves it isn't. Uh, I think there should be a presumption of innocence rather than a presumption of guilt. Yeah, we see more and more DAOs coming in the market um, for a lot of different things. And then there's a governance token. And the more you have it, the more you can vote and have, you know, says in the protocol and whatnot. So what do you guys, uh, where do you guys see those uh, DAOs being used most uh, and 
how it's uh, interesting for the for the community for the people yeah i think yeah i think it's going to be widespread there's not a one just leading indicator i think we've seen just a lot of general if you hold this token then you have access to voting rights and things like that but now it's being curated into more of collective that you first of all be sort of an nft gated uh, membership to access so that's sort of like one decent layer and one good, good use case for nfts as well so that if you hold that you you have certain voting powers but i think we're going to see it in all sorts of cases like i was reading up even on the japanese government and the japanese government are now you know they have a department looking at DAOs even for like you know voting and and certain uh, government policies and it was brought up at, uh, at the world economic forum as well like they were actually promoting DAOs. they were not promoting crypto they, they didn't even want to use that word but they were actually promoting the use of DAOs. um so i think we will see in the political space as well um which is is very much needed you know there's still countries doing paper votes for example um so i think it will bring a lot of transparency to things but there's not one super indicator but i think for investments i think that's where I see things at, you know, I give a use case to people who are onboarding with Ron is that, you know, you can get four friends together, you can have a common goal, you can buy one Bitcoin together, or you can invest in, you know, a Web3 startup, you know, within minutes. And, and that is just super quick. And I feel like that's um, a good use case that you can have um, voting within your community quite easy. Great. Uh, just uh, add to this, if you were to go and regulate um, a, a bank, a broker, a fund, a fund management service, any of these things, one of the biggest things that you're going to have to convince the regulations of is the fact that you've got the governance right and that the right people are in the right places to do the right supervisory roles, etc. I think one of the challenges that the DAOs need to embrace and, and maybe the industry needs to take the lead on is actually to set out a governance charter because one of the big issues we have with DAOs is the abuse of governance, where you find that certain people end up controlling or groups of people controlling the whole thing. Uh, and we've seen this repeatedly, not just with DAOs, but also with layer ones. Um, you know, yeah. there are a whole string of layer ones out there where the governance actually is choking the capacity of this thing to work. Um, I could name three or four off the top of my head, you know, it's that prevalent. Um, so getting into that governance issue. Uh, and actually, the industry behaving like the grown-ups that we want to be treated as, that's the key. For sure. I think uh, uh, the concept of DAO is really amazing, but there are two two things that I would like to uh, mention here. The first thing is about uh, what Greg mentioned, the market abuse or the abuse of the governance that we saw during the Luna crisis. Uh, they, they passed a resolution and most of the Luna tokens were with the founders themselves and they passed it even uh, without hearing any of the voices from uh, their community or their token holders. So this was a very clear abuse and everybody was saying like where these many tokens are even there, who is actually doing it? And secondly, like when uh, most of the tokens are with, uh, uh, is in the wrong hands, uh, then it can take the projection project in a very uh, negative direction also. Like recently, Uniswap wanted to go on uh, Binance Smart Chain, but it was prevented by two very big investors that they have. So they vetoed it, and now that's not going to happen. Because of which, probably, uh, Uniswap might suffer a bit, because if it's on another blockchain, like probably, you know, like a lot of people in that community will be joining, and business will be growing, will be flourishing. But because of certain investors, like who had huge amount of power uh, over the governance, I think like these are the problems that I see in DAO, but um, 
it again depends on the tokenomics and who owns it and how they run it. But if these micro things are really very well defined and if it's been taken care of from the beginning, I think DAOs can work perfectly and it can work better than any other corporations. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And I, I, this is, I always say this, like just because it's a DAO, it doesn't mean that it can't fall apart. But if it's, if it's run well and the tokenomics or like NFT based uh, DAOs, are run well, then I think they, they have a very good future. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think, I think that's a good point. And I think that sort of, um, learning curve with, with everything in the space, you know, th there had to be certain pain points and that to come out decent, uh, building, uh, mechanics around this. And I agree with what the guy said. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with vesting schedules also. And I think we've seen that with, with certain projects, you know, they can be manipulated quite easy by a certain amount of people holding onto those. And some of those other governance protocols, I think they were very, very poorly managed. Um, I wouldn't even call them uh, a traditional DAO in the sense they were just fast tracked to um, push through certain things. So I think like what I've learned and, and what we're building towards is that gated community that only you can only join with that certain membership. And you know, you could have a link, for example, and you can only um, privatize that certain club. So it wouldn't allow that participation for like bad actors to come in uh, and also you don't need a native token you know you don't need a native token for a DAO I think a lot of the early projects had that and you know you just have this pool sitting there but it's not not being really um, managed or utilized that well so that's just one thing you can have like a very good DAO system protected only open to people who have you know access to that um, and you don't need a token for it just to add to what Graham's saying and going back to the adult uh, comment, um, when we talk to regulators and we say that you need to be slightly less patrician and slightly more uh, liberal in, in how you approach this, it would really help if as you know, people who are interested in this area, people who are active in this area, we showed a little bit more discernment and it, as Graham is indicating, actually looked at the governance of things that we put money into, uh, actually looked at the tokenomics and check, you know, is this just number go up? greater fool fallacy or is this something that is actually delivering a utility and does that utility have a value might that utility increase in the future and that thereby drives the increase in utility token value so I, I think we kind of as a as a group of people need to think more carefully about what we're putting our money into and, and why definitely yeah discernment is a is a great word and i think you know, from what I've learned, you know, and people, people experience in the space, the likes of Celsius, FTX, it seems like a lot of new people in the space, that's where, you know, a lot of people did get, did get burned, um, by yeah, being tra trapped in these. So like discernment is absolutely key. Um, and I think, you know, if you are going to join a DAO, it is up to, is up to you to do extensive research and, and see how, see how it, it functions. So. How can we promote greater transparency uh, and accountability accountability for in the investment process for the community? More transparency, you know, like, do you guys have any suggestion, ideas you want to share? Any yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I can go. Anything else? Um, can go ahead. I can go. I could just, I could just like, just relate to um, what we're building because that is one big area that we're looking at. Um, so we initially started like um, building a launch pad for startups and bringing that sort of um, revenue finance on chain so that people could have visibility into um how that startup's growing and you know helping them with funding in that sense 
But then we started to look at the the bigger picture of, you know, if you are running sort of like an investment vehicle, what does that look like? Yeah. So we don't need to have your your name sprayed out there, but your investment club can be started um, just by a wallet address. And that admin wallet address to begin with, you know, initially sets up that club. And then you have tools around the governance that you build in. So you can look at an investment club on chain. Uh, you can see the wallet address. You can see assets. And I think that's good. I think that brings transparency into like, oh, this investment club is is investing in NFTs, some tokenized projects. Um, and I think that is good. And we also, what you can also do with that is you can even gamify that experience of investing because the whole paperwork and everything that you go through in the traditional sense is is really outdated it's not efficient um so you can have a lot of transparency through an investment club uh, and i think like from what we've gone through through um, people uh, interested in this and creating those is that yeah you 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 don't need to have uh, everything on display but why not have a look into what you're investing in and and see you know see the the bigger picture in creating that um wider adoption towards um you becoming your own investor. Thank you so much. So, the panel before this one, Martin, was was focused on DeFi lending. Uh, and actually, you know, one of the things I think that DeFi lends itself to is to break down the barriers between all of those points. That actually it, it can become a much more cohesive environment, much more where you can look at a company and decide which parts of it you'd like to invest in. For example, is this company a very solid operation that's doing a lot of business, but it's not really got a lot of growth. But you know what? It's, it's effectively acting like a bond. So I'll buy some of their debt. Um, I think I, I go back to the point. We need that discernment. We need to have people be educated. Um, we need to look at, there are so many things like I had this, I was very proud of my daughter in a way, and this is slightly heretical. She told me she didn't want to go to university. And I said, well, I can understand that because, you know, what do you say to a, a master's in arts? I'd like that large, please. Um, we're churning out graduates, but we're not actually churning out educated people. And what I mean by educated people is in the true Socratic sense. Uh, the whole educational system is driving toward this thing of giving people certification, but it's not necessarily driving toward making them active, capable stakeholders, citizens, etc. Um, we need to, you know, there has to be a deep down transition in all of these things. The future of work, the future of education, the future of how we economically transact, they're all linked. And we need to start educating children in becoming citizens and becoming stakeholders in becoming uh, guardians of their own wealth and, and well-being. Uh, and I, it's, it is that basic that w we need to, to, to get into these things. And so, you know, when Graham's talking about, well, being able to understand and maybe gamifying so, some elements of it. Yeah, that's, that's the industry coming to the individual, but the individual has got to come to the industry too. We need people to be able to to be given the basic tools to discern whether something is good information bad information um you know we talk about the the end of truth and the end of the, the era that nobody trusts mainstream news and so on all of these things fundamentally uh, you know I, again i make this point to my children you shouldn't trust any single source of information including me everything verify yeah exactly you should actually be able to go and and, and cross-reference it and that is a basic life skill that we need to teach everybody from children through to adults today. Very good point. Love what you said. Guru, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I will just add a few more points on what uh, uh, Graham and Greg have already uh, said about. But uh, my point is a little bit on the due diligence side. 
So due diligence is extremely important uh, on on any project, especially when you speak about blockchain project. And then we have to see all the on-chain records to see uh, their credibility and what they have announced and what they have done. This is a uh, really, really very important. So, and another thing which is very important is also social proof to check their social media, their announcements and their traction and their metrics and to see like who exactly is following them and why they're following them, what is the connection between them. We do a lot of social analysis because we as a company have built our own sentiment analysis engine to get, uh, you know, the sentiments of the market and we use it for building strategies. That's a different story. But still, when we were building it, we were, we, we were also trying to think like um, if, if someone says like Bitcoin to the moon, it can be a positive statement or it can be just a sarcastic statement also when Bitcoin is falling down. But we have to see like uh, in the in the previous occurrences, like how many times this word was used by this person and what was the effect on on the market based on it and how credible was that? So the, these kind of things uh, is very, very important. I mean, uh, even when we do due diligence, like social proof is important and text proof is important and metrics, that's what everything is about. I mean, uh, if they are able to achieve uh, big things with a very small thing that they have currently small in number the small team or uh, just small amount of money but making very big amount of uh, you know output out of it these are the key metrics that we cannot really uh, reject yeah i i'd like to just add something to both what the guy was saying and odd fist you know everything we talked about here is a tool and in the context of a world in which um we can trust the message not the messenger that you know, Web three to me is very simple. Web two is free at the point of use because you're the product. Web three, you pay for your utility when you find it because actually you own your own data, your own world. But if if we were to take this a little bit further, what the industry serving that this growing forthcoming nascent economy it, it needs to think about is that we are tools. We're not necessarily giving answers. You know, what Drew just gave there is a really good example of a fantastic tool that somebody can take, use, pay for, and get an outcome from that they can understand. And we just need as an industry to be very careful that we don't reposition ourselves into a state where it's trust me, I'm X. Needs definitely. So we're coming down to the end and uh, Greg while you're on the spotlight uh do you have any closing thoughts for the panel i think that kind of summarizes <laughs> yeah I, did. I, I i i opened with saying this is about trust the message not the messenger and I, I would close by saying that as an industry we need to think about providing people with tools and th that's where we stop perfect thank you um graham how about you go yeah yeah i mean to touch on um building tools um to enable better insight on everything. And I think what Greg touched on about the education side of things is, is so key. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's one point I want to make uh, in terms of like, um, people making investment choices too. Like, you know, we're seeing a big push now towards AI, for example, and web three is kind of like, oh, you need to take a backseat and things like that. So I think just giving more power to the everyday investor and, and creating that equal playing field so that that barrier is so low and if that price of a gas fee to create one of these vehicles is 20 cent or a few dollars. I think that's like super important and it's super important that people collect and form ideas together. And those analysis and investment choices become a lot easier for everyone to get on board. You know, why can't we all invest in like the next startup or, or the next technology wave of tomorrow? And I think um, I'd like this to see more of that um, to enable, like what Greg said, to be, to enable that messenger and to enable a more easy flow. Uh, to everything that's just what i like to end with or the onboarding yeah yeah exactly 
what what I would like to say is um, that this industry is still growing. I mean, like overall, two percent, three percent of the whole population is still in crypto. There is too much of growth to happen here, and it will keep happening. And one should not worry about the palms or dumps or any kind of other kind of things that's uh, happening in the market. But they should just focus on building the things to welcome the next billion people into Web three space, into crypto space. And uh, if Bitcoin was not just a, fi a financial asset, if it was just purely non-financial blockchain thing, probably we would not have, uh, you know, come to this point where we are now because of that financial aspect. A lot of people came into that, whether through speculation or investments or whatever it is. And that's why investing or trading cannot be, you know, like seen down. I mean, this industry has to grow because this brings a lot of people into this space. And when they come into this space, they will try to explore other things also like NFTs and other technologies to implement it. But without having any kind of monetary benefits, I don't think people will come. It's like play to earn. And it's not for play. The earning part is what brings people to the play to earn space. So that's why we need to build a lot of infrastructure around uh, bringing the people first. And then making them to think what they can do further than just trading and making money. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe it should be play and earn. <laughs> um, so, but thank you so much for sharing this wonderful thoughts, guys. I really appreciate it. I want to thank uh, uh, Laurent and the team for putting this uh, beautiful summit. It's been a lot of work. So uh, I just want to thanks everyone. And let's keep building uh, together. And I will see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, guys. Thanks, Thank guys. Bye -bye. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Barian Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on barianmusic.com. All of the supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.